0: Today we talk to a father and son who are continuing to lead a successful family construction company, one of the top family-owned businesses in New Hampshire, and literally building on the legacy of the patriarch who founded it. I'm Matt Nari, editor of Business NH magazine
1: and I'm Nathan Carroll, founder and president of Cardinal Consulting and welcome to Bizcast NH. Matt. Yes. So we have a father son team here today. We're going to hear a lot from them. But um, do you think you could ever be like a father son team? I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe no, just a simple just, no. Just absolutely no. not. Well, no. You know, I mean, maybe I, not like now as they are, but well, like. And
0: that's just right, like, right. I, I'm in the throes of a, a of hell. newly minted <laughs> teenager. Yes. And a tweener. So, you know, anytime I ask for anything to be done, it's met with, ugh, and the eye roll, right? And then I will give very, like this morning, very specific instructions on how to get ready for their day. Mm -hmm. Granted, it is the routine. There's nothing different. It's the same thing we
1: did yesterday. I go
0: over it with my youngest, the 11-year-old. I have him repeat it back to me. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go take my shower. You get going on your day. I go up. My wife goes, and she goes... So do you remember what daddy told you? No. I'm like, <laughs> he is never leaving my basement. <laughs> like, that's where I'm at right now. So I, I know they're not the person they're going to be, oh, right? I know, I know, right. But even right. looking at now, I'm like, no, I, I just, I mean, I can't fire them now, but nope. <laughs> <someday>. <laughs> that would be the only, I think, advantage. <laughs> 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 I go, well, listen, if he never leave leaves now. the basement, you guys could just work from home <laughs> and work together, you know? And, and you know, and, and, and it's a family continuation because, like, my dad and I... Mm-hmm. I love my dad so much. Yeah. But he and I try and move a a piece of furniture together. Oh, my God, Matt,
1: yes. The
0: amount of swearing and, uh, the you know, pivot, that friend's pivot Pivot, moment, that's us. Like, it's just not (laughs) happening. You know, there has to be a break afterwards where we then come back together and remember the family bond. Yeah,
1: exactly. uh, You hug it out later on. I, I had that with my dad recently. He was over helping us with some landscaping in the yard and stuff and we're doing something we're like literally setting a rock in because we're doing some drainage stuff and at one point he looks at me and he goes I've been doing this for 50 years and I was like that's the problem
0: (laughs) (laughs) we have very and we do. Experience. Yeah. And <laughs> then later
1: on, it's like, come here, just hug me. That's no, right. Sorry. Everything's good. Thanks for coming up and helping. We'll I appreciate move on you. now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing this for 50 years. Oh, man. Well, we'll see how the uh, relationship between this father-son team that we're about Someone to interview goes. Someone making it work. Yeah, they are clearly making That's it work. That's because I've been doing it for 50 years. <laughs> uh, see? So, Is that the problem, Nick? Yeah. <laughs> Our, don't have to answer. our <laughs> guests this week are Craig and Nick Jewett, father-son team. Craig is a second-generation family owner with more than 30 years of commercial construction experience. At Jewett, he's responsible for strategic planning initiatives. Outside of the office, he's an incorporator of Kennebunk Savings Bank, a proprietor of the Portsmouth Athenaeum, a member of the Board of Directors for the Regional Economic Development Center of Southern New Hampshire, the REDC, The Children's Hospital at Dartmouth All-Star Football Finance Committee, a graduate of leadership New Hampshire, and a commissioner of the Portsmouth Housing Authority. Nick Jewett is the third generation of Jewett's working his way up the company ladder, currently as an estimator. Nick brings many years of construction experience to the Jewett team, having supervised projects in the office, retail, industrial manufacturing, and healthcare sectors. Craig and Nick, Welcome. Thank you. It's, a, it's an honor to be here. Appreciate it. Morning. Well, it's great to it's great to have you guys. So, why don't you um, kind of just start off by telling us this story? We alluded to the story of how things were maybe founded for Jewett Construction, um, the how and the why that came to be. Go ahead and just tell us that story as you know it. Yeah, my parents, <laughs> uh, my parents, Nick's grandparents uh, started the company in
2: 1972. Um, both of my parents are incredible crafty people and creative people with their hands. And I think inevitably it was um, going into the construction company. My father had a construction background through his youth with some uncles. Both sides of our family, my mom's side and my dad's side, both have uh, um, construction people who have been in the family for years. So it was kind of a natural progression. And it really started out out of a necessity. My dad was running Spalding and Frost in Fremont when it burnt. In 1972, the plant burnt down. And what was he doing there? He was managing the plant. he's running it. Uh, He got uh, his master's in forestry from UNH and was hired right away to take over um, running a a barrel-making cooperage, largest white pine cooperage in the country, as a matter of fact, until it burnt flat in 72. I actually remember the fire as a little kid. And uh, the next day, he started Jua Construction with his hands and a pickup truck and a, a bunch of tools that he probably still has. Um, <laughs> and they went into business and I was, you know, we're getting ready for our 50th celebration, which is September 22nd in Portsmouth. And I was kind of <clears throat> talking with my dad a little bit about it. And uh, he told me that he thinks his first year, he did $50,000 in business. And, uh, that's quite amazing as to, you know, where we're at right now. Yeah. Back then. Um, it that's... really started out of an, an he, he, he had the skills, started out of a necessity, needed a job. My parents are incredibly gritty people. Um, Probably the hardest working people I know um, is a lot of tenacity. They fly around. They're 80 years old. My dad was 80 a couple weeks ago. Nice. He's still buying real estate. He's still building buildings, driving my sister crazy. <laughs> um, they're building uh, houses up in Moosehead Lake and down in Florida. And so, yeah, it's just a whole wow. family has a uh, uh, tremendous work ethic.
1: And um,
2: yeah, it's just kind of, I, I guess, out of necessity.
1: So. Cool. Cool. Nick, anything to add to, add to that? Any um, stories growing up that you remember uh, as the family business was, was thriving?
3: Uh, yeah, certainly,
1: certainly. A um,
3: couple, couple good stories. Um, I remember I was in second or third grade. Um, I had to tell the teacher that uh, my father was picking me up early and I was headed out of school and she was curious what for. And I said, well, I have, uh, I have a meeting. And uh, he he brought me to uh, a couple meetings with clients and meeting with engineers and architects and uh, that definitely got the got the spark wanted me to get into it I more. It.
0: I gotta leave
1: second grade because I got a meeting. Yeah, that's awesome. Yep. <laughs> so my, my
2: parents were always dragging us out of school yeah. for the business. My my parents always thought you know you're gonna learn more on the road than you are gonna be sitting in this classroom. So I guess. Uh, much like my folks, uh, Nick was um, exposed to the to the same type of things. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, well, Craig, uh, to that extent, what was um, you mentioned your dad kind of learning, uh, you know, through the years? What was your career path like, or your education in the in the trades? Was it a lot of just growing up in this business and and learning as you went, or?
2: Yeah, I, I was. Uh, uh, afforded an incredible opportunity to um, sit at the kitchen table and watch my parents go ah. through several recessions. And those low points, you know, for me, I was able to spin those into high points in, in my career. Nice. Um, I, th- I think you gain respect out of, out of low points. And, um, you know, there was some tough times in the seventies and eighties and sitting at that kitchen table and listening to, you know, the back and forth of the business, which at one time was the kitchen table <clears throat> was a, was a lesson in itself. I didn't do very well in school. I'm, um, mm-hmm. um I'm not ashamed of that. I had too much energy. I couldn't sit still. Nick was the same way. We both struggled in grade school and high school, mm-hmm. and I knew at an early time. Um, I, I knew at an early age that I was going to be in the construction business. I, you know, nice. I think uh, it's it's in our genetics and the Jewetts I think. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of,
1: well, and it's a darn good place to be. The yeah. trades. You know, they, for for a while, I think they got, you know, a, a little bit of the the uh, poo pooed on and that sort of thing. Oh, you're gonna, you know, just go out work with your hands and this and that. But it's needed. We know that, especially right now, talking about building houses. Um, and it, there's an art, and there's not—you know—not everybody can do that. I'm like r- trying to rebuild my front steps right now. Yeah, I could. I I just wish that someone else was available to do it. You know, because yeah. there's an art, there's a talent, there's uh, and all that. And we're glad that you guys have that innately or otherwise. Yeah, cool. There's a there
2: there you know there is a a, a, dr- a dramatic need for mm. trades, and it's not going to go away for a while. And I think um, all of us in the construction industry enters together and uh, trying to promote more trades in the industry, and you know everybody knows it.
1: Is, is Jewett doing anything as a company to pull in those young folks and kind of uh, p- uh, pull them or, or introduce them to the trades? Yeah, we've
2: um, developed a program for some young folks to come in and get trained. We have two um, right now who are going through—actually, uh, Kat, who's here with us today— Developed the whole program. Nice. Um, so we have two youngsters. I, I don't know exactly what schools they went to, but mm-hmm. uh, they're going through um, a whole program that you know while they're in while they're in uh, their college vacation. So wow. yeah, they're on sites down in Wilmington, Mass, and on a site in Chelmsford, Massachusetts now. So yeah, we're doing everything we can, which is possible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So being a family-owned business, it's it's got unique opportunities and challenges that come with it from a traditional business. And so um, you've been able to make you know this successful transition, obviously, to the second generation, and you're working on that third generation. And that's more than a lot of family businesses are able to go to. So can you talk about what worked and what were some of the challenges that you faced specifically as a family running a business and going through that transition period? Um, and what what did you do that obviously worked and what were some of the challenges you had to overcome?
2: Um, I think first and foremost, uh, culture from the beginning, understanding, um, you know, my mom and dad started this, uh, it, you know, carrying their, their culture forward. And, and so with my parents, um, you know, nothing was handed to my sister and I. We both had to work for it. We both had to compete with um, existing associates and, and employees that were there. So, you know, and I kind of, in the same way to Nick, I said, Nick, you know, you're going to have to compete with, with all these associates employees that we have now. He has a lot more competition than I had. Um, I guess keeping that culture of uh, the associates come first, you know, your last name is Jewett, but I understand you have to compete with everybody else. Um, you know, nothing's free. Everything has to be paid for. Um, nothing is, is, you know... My parents, you know, I paid my parents for the business, the best thing they ever did, to be honest with you. Um, So nothing's handed to anybody this culture of competing against um, other associates and understanding that, you know, you have the last name, but you're really the, you know, the last guy on the totem pole, so to speak. I think that's, and Nick, Nick, um, you know, carries that same mindset too, so... You know, as we move through it, it's my goal that uh, more important than anything that this company gets passed down a couple more generations. And I have a sneaking suspicion it will. <laughs> Next cut from pretty good mold. so
1: Nice. Um, you yeah. heard it here first.
0: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. We hold that over his head for a while,
2: right?
0: Oh, so, my goodness. <laughs> Nick, to the extent, because you're sitting right there, I know. But I mean, what is it like to work with your dad and to make sure that as you're moving your career forward, that, y- y- you know, that the last name isn't an anchor in that also, that you're able to do what you need to do in the business um, and further your career without having the, I remember when you couldn't, didn't clean your room up, you know, kind of mentality <laughs> sneaking in. You know, how do you balance the family relationship with your own career aspirations?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's uh, you definitely hear a lot of horror stories. Um, you hear about it all the time. Uh, people butting heads and family and whatnot, but it really has never been difficult um my old man kind of set the tone early and um <laughs> we've just always worked well together um it's uh my boss, my best friend, uh my best man cool um, yeah so it's uh it's always been always been easy, always been fun, love coming in and hate leaving so <laughs> yeah
1: um I, we we touched on on your dad's education earlier, but um, and experience. Um, have you worked prior to to working for for Jewett? Had you worked for any other company, or you had you had that experience? But where did your experience come from prior? Was it with Jewett and family experience, or or elsewhere?
3: Yeah, so I started just about as um, soon as I could push a broom. <laughs> um, any obviously summer vacation, holidays, snow days on WMUR when it said high school is closed, that meant I was going to work the next day. <laughs> um, so experience started early. Um, I did work for a contractor down in the South Carolina Hilton Head area oh, nice. for a couple of years
2: and, uh, yeah, just ended back up here and yeah. been here ever since. Madden. I think, um, uh, I did the same thing, an opportunity to work for a design-build company in uh, Conneaut Lake, Pennsylvania, for Mm. three years. And Nick worked for a construction company in Georgia and South Carolina for two years. And I think those times of stepping away from the family business and working for somebody else for a couple years is incredibly valuable. Oh, absolutely. And I would highly recommend that to other um, family-owned businesses out there, that second, third generation, just take a couple years – and uh, go spend some time with somebody else, then come back to the family. Because we both we
1: both did we both did the same mm-hmm. uh, the same trip. So yeah, well, I would imagine you would you know you would maybe even appreciate working for family a little bit more in some cases or most cases, but also come back with with different ideas. You know, seeing it done differently, and 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 then being able to be that sort of critical thinker and go well. It was done this way here, and we're doing it this way. Whether you know it's good or bad on either side, but yeah. So there's there's certainly a lot that can come from just being exposed to something different, as it were.
2: Yeah, that, I think that's the biggest takeaway is that watching other family businesses and watching the, the hurdles that they faced um, as an employee there, and knowing that, that that some of those hurdles were exposed to other associates, which isn't which isn't good. So keeping the, the, the family rumble down under and understand that you've got a, other associates working there, that, and, you know, the takeaway of seeing how other businesses are doing things is incredibly valuable. And I know Nick, Nick got a lot out of working for the folks that he worked for, and, and, and as did I.
0: Nice. Nice. So you've grown this into a multi-million dollar company, um, you know, from the days when your dad started with a pickup truck, like you said, you know, his tools, and now you've got how many employees?
2: There's 65 of us now. Right.
0: Oh, wow. I mean, this is a significant company that has yeah. grown into. Um, but it wasn't always smooth sailing, like every company. I mean, you've had to overcome challenges and especially outside pressures. The the company's gone through recessions and now a pandemic. Yeah. And I think what I want to explore though is that you took those hard times and used them to pivot in a way that helped accelerate the growth of your company. Can you talk about the strategies you used when the recession hit and when the pandemic hit and what how the business came out stronger?
2: I think if you're positioned financially uh, properly, um, I think those, in my mind, those are growth times, um, not times to um, reel it in, so to speak. So, you know, the the recession of 2009, 10, we use use those as opportunities for growth. um, And the same with the pandemic. When the pandemic hit, um, a suggestion of our, our now company, Greg Stewart, He said, we need to write a letter to all the employees and tell them what we're gonna do. And so we sat down, the two of us, and um, we wrote a letter to all of our associates telling that we were gonna do this, we're gonna do this, we're not gonna lay anybody off, we're gonna start a design center. Um, an architectural studio and we're going to do a new office during this pandemic and we sent that letter out to all the employees and and it was a way to hold us as managers of company accountable as to where we're going it forced us into checking boxes and we did all of that and then some um so we, we see those the pandemic and and recessions as gas pedal time and i think other smart companies do the same thing you know it's good growth opportunity then
0: and so when the, the... Going back to like the recessionary time, wasn't one of your strategies that you actually went very niche?
2: Yeah, especially in the construction industry, uh, the best way through a recession is to be the very best at one thing, right? Develop a niche. And so um, we had uh, experienced some growth in the automotive sector. We'd built some car dealerships, and uh, that really took off in 2009, 10, 11, 12. And we were busy as, as... I'll I'll get out and it really catapulted us you know to today as a matter of fact and we're still building dealerships we're going to be down in Georgia we're going to be in Virginia oh wow I think we've done over 170 of them now throughout New England and New wow. York some of them we've done three times <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I, I, I'm serious yeah. and so um, the manufacturers put pressure on these auto dealers who who I might say are probably some of the best people on the planet and a lot of them <clears> there <throat> used to be a, there's been a lot of uh, consolidation and buyout, but you know, it was a lot of good families. Mm-hmm. So we understood what they wanted to accomplish. It was the same business as ours. There were sons and fathers and daughters and, and moms and and so we understood, you know, had some empathy for what they were going through. And so I don't know, just a niche we fell into. And uh, once we understood the magnitude of it, we just gas pedaled it through the recession and, you know, to where we are today.
1: And, and in, Oh so go ahead, Matt.
0: Well and then with the pandemic you kind of mm. went the other way where you are now broadening the services um, that you're offering. What went behind that decision-making as to why this design and architectural center was the next best step, and, and why now?
2: Well, we, um, we needed more. So for years, we needed more office space. And um, so once we got the new building, which we bought, the first year of the pandemic, we bought it right in the middle of the first year, and everybody thought we were nuts. But I'm like, no, <laughs> this is the right thing to do. I, you know, I, I know it's the right thing to do. So we finally had some space where we could go out and and some physical space where we could actually go out and have a studio uh, in our in our in our physical plant. So that was that was a big piece as far as uh, broadening. Um, uh some of the markets we worked in, that was strategic. You know, there's only so many dealerships you can build. Mm-hmm. And at some point that's gonna slow. So we quickly which we've always been really good at, quickly pivoting and following, you know, what's the next big thing. So we're doing a lot of warehouse distribution, some mixed use facilities. Uh we got apartments going in Dover, New Hampshire. We've got cool a fifty million dollar project going in Lebanon, White River Junction. So you know, there's been a lot of other markets we now serve, but we do try to stay within our own world as far as what we do. We don't do any schoolwork. There's certain things that we won't tackle because we we just know where we need to be.
1: Nice.
3: I think another big thing that helped us get through the pandemic was um, our delivery method. Mm -hmm. Um, Delivering pre-construction through a design build method um, was very helpful with all of the challenges with uh, material volatility cost-wise, lead times to get it on site. So our relationships with the engineers, vendors, subcontractors, um, when stuff hit the fan, uh, we were able to kind of bring everyone together, leverage those relationships and design to what we could get, what we could supply and what we could install quickly um, Mm -hmm. instead of a uh, design bid build delivery, which didn't didn't really cut it. Um, Changing materials
2: on the fly when we needed
3: to.
1: Boy, right. Yeah yeah. 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 Well, so Nick, your role as an estimator—I mean, for for us laymen, does it—is it what it sounds like? You are, you know, essentially estimating the the cost and, and other elements of a project. Is that right? Yes. Or, okay. Yep. Yep. And was that totally insane, or has that still been totally insane with the amount with the <laughs> price fluctuations and and everything? How do you? I mean, how do you do it? You know? Uh, yeah, it's definitely been uh, full contact for the last
3: few years, <laughs> especially with coming into the. Pre- Reconstruction department um, around that time that Mm -hmm. definitely made made it difficult trying to figure out what this cost and I don't know right (laughs) let's check today it's going to be different tomorrow so um, it definitely made it interesting but have have had a great time doing it do a lot of the estimating um, as well as kind of the management of design, Mm -hmm. so kind of lead the charge um, with gathering the architect, the structural engineer, the mechanical electrical plumbing, making sure it's all herded in the right direction, um, and uh, keeping an eye on cost, make sure the client's um, architectural needs are in mind, but cost as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, so let's hit on, on you again for a second in terms of this, uh, you know, starting at the bottom as it were, and working your way up learning and all that. Is that. Um, is there a sort of a clear path as to the next role, the promotion for you, or, or do you have sort of a passion in which you'd want to, um, move in a certain direction within the company? What does that look like for you?
3: Uh, Not necessarily. I really do enjoy the pre-construction end of it. Um, Obviously really enjoyed being on site, Mm -hmm. the nuts and bolts of it um, as a superintendent. Um, Next step is wherever I fit best with the company, whatever helps the company. Um, So um,
1: yeah. Cool. We'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's good. So let's talk culture
0: a little bit. Yeah, you know, sure. you started yeah. off by saying, you know, your, your part of your mission was continue the culture that your parents established at the company. I mean, we are in a uh, talent war right now. Yeah. It's hard to come by folks. It is. Um, you know, what is the culture you're building and how is your culture evolving and changing to meet the, de- the, the, the needs of today's workforce, which... In two years, has just upended dramatically.
2: Yeah, there's you know, uh, work from home policies being you know put out there. Um, we've had to do um, there, there's 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 a lot we've done in the last couple of years to change the way in which we're operating um, for recruitment and retention, uh, a lot more benefits, um, you name it. I mean, we've done it across the board. Um, this new office has got so many facilities for all of our people that you know, we never would have thought of doing in the past. We've got a 70-seat auditorium in our building now. Oh, wow. So um, all the team members can gather. We're doing so much more training. Nice. From legal training to safety training to you name it, we're having consultants come in and help train. Um, yeah, th- there's a lot of mentor men- mentorship going on, um, a lot of... Uh, um, Uh, growing from under and, you know, hiring professionals to, you know, manage over. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we've done a lot. It's been actually pretty impressive. Cool.
1: Um, Can we touch on maybe a little bit of a story here? Um, This new facility is located where?
2: It's located in Fremont, New Hampshire. It's actually um, located on the same site in which Spaulding and Frost burnt in 1972. Uh And all of this is somewhat um, uh, just by sheer coincidence. This building came on the market... Um, it had sat idle, really, and, and um, I guess we've, we've been able to go in and turn the whole project around. It was mm-hmm. a 30,000-square-foot building, and the thing was kind of dying on the vine since 2008, yeah. and so we came in and bought the thing you know, right in the middle of the pandemic and moved our offices over there, and now we've added another 20,000 square feet to it, wow. and those buildings are full, and so... Wow. Yeah, it's just... Uh, Interesting that it happened to be on the same site where my dad really got his start. So by told by
1: pure coincidence, you said pure, right?
2: Pure coincidence. That's yeah, the building so became available, and it was three miles away from our existing office, which had you know thirty people jammed into it. I, <laughs> I think the septic system was you know I think it was for like ten people, and so we desperately needed to move. I always say that COVID began. In our office complex. You're who we have
0: to thank for that. (laughs) Thanks a lot, guys.
2: Anyway, the move was, (laughs) uh, and I always said to every time I watched my father move, you know, because he moved the office two or three times, we grew. Mm. And I I said, this is going to have a major impact on our growth. And sure enough, yeah, it was a very important decision.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Um, And why do you think
0: that was? Why uprooting physically helped? What does that do? Mentally, I guess, for the company,
1: I think it's freeing for
2: all um, for everybody that's uh, you know bought into the program and where we're going. I think everybody was uplifted by it, and we have, like I said, we've got a seventy foot auditorium, a seventy seat auditorium now where we can train. Um, Bringing clients in has been a totally different experience now, Uh, just you know, completely uplifting across the board. We you know we we were able to add the architectural center, our studio, during this this whole time because we now had the space to do it. So
0: yeah. And how do you tap into your associates in a way that you ensure that you're getting those great ideas they have bubbling up so that when you have these times of change, which even good change can be difficult, that they're not only buying into it, but they're engaging? And how does being a family business play into that? Like having Nick... You're, you know, you're, you're part of the workforce that's there. And so you're experiencing firsthand the culture and the changes and seeing the effects it's having mm-hmm. on workers. What kind of voice do you are able to have at the table when it comes to those issues? Um,
3: yeah, I think we have a really good open door policy. Um, nobody's bigger than the company and there's no stigma about you can't speak up. Um, if you have a good idea or need help, um, everyone's available to you. Uh, So I think that's really important, That's that's from the
2: bottom up. We do do twice a year, we do what's called an all-hands meeting. Mm -hmm. One is in the beginning of the year, and one is in the end of the summer. And what we do at the beginning of the year is we invite all the team members, all 65, however many it is at the time, because it changes constantly. (laughs) Anyway, they all come in, we show them exactly where we're going, we show them what we're doing in revenue, where we want to go nice. we show them all the goals we want to accomplish this year we ask for feedback we get real gritty on all the benefits and everything that's available to every associate we let them know what we're looking for in hiring you know top to bottom we undress the company in front of everybody and say, okay, now, now's everybody's chance to chime in. And that's been super mm-hmm. effective. It's the third year we've done it. And then in the summertime, what we do is we take the executive committee and we go on the road. And we, we visit, <clears throat> like we have teams up in Vermont. We have teams in Connecticut. We have teams up in Maine. So we'll go rent a room for the day. And we'll do an on-hands meeting in the geographic region where the associates are. If somebody misses one, we just tag them along and bring them to Vermont with us or Maine, or wherever it is. But so just to continue to expose all of our associates to really the deep dive planning that we're doing and and making them a part of it.
0: And then the next part of my question was, as a family business, do you feel that gives you kind of an advantage in having a better take on the pulse of the company when you're not just at the leadership level, but you have family members who are part of rank and file and, and can do you feel like you have a better idea of what's going on within, uh, among your associates and and in the company itself?
2: Um, I, I think, yes. And that, that experience comes from having worked in another family business. I think Nick would probably echo the same thing. Uh, I, what's, what's critical in family businesses. and, And I've experienced this recently is, um, you, you need to set your ego aside and you need for the betterment of the company. Nobody's bigger than the company. And you have to be willing to accept that you need to hire people that are smarter than you. Mm-hmm. And then you need to get the hell out of the way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay? Yes.
2: And you got to let them do their jobs. Yes. And for um, business owners that have been in a family environment, that's a very difficult thing. I, I strugg- I've struggled with it. But uh, the more I get out of the way the more I go on to do other things, the better the company does. We've hired these professionals, let them come in, let them run it, let them manage it. You know, We're gonna look at it from 30,000 feet, mm-hmm. listen to their ideas and know that their ideas are probably gonna be better than yours. I think accepting that in a family business is very, very difficult, but it's incredibly important. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, you know, you're celebrating 50 years, which is a yeah. huge milestone. Congratulations. That's Did you get your invite?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you going? Are you going? <laughs> I, I, we mailed you an in invite. We're having a huge party over in Portsmouth on the 22nd of September. Cool. I'm going to have to be there. I There's think. an open bar, if that helps. Oh, oh my God. Whatever. There you go. <laughs> I am there now.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> so, but, you know, so what does the next 50 years look like? You know, I, I, I know you don't playing That far ahead, but what, yeah. what strategically are you looking at? Where do you want to take this company, and how are you planning for your own transition eventually? Yeah, um,
2: my transition is probably um, an easy question to answer. Uh, you know, I, I, we've hired Greg Stewart to come in and run the company as a president. He's been with us, I think, eight or nine years. Uh, Greg's an incredibly talented individual. Um, he and Dan Ray. Um, Nick's working under both these gentlemen now and and you know it's all it's all been transparent everybody knows what's going on Um, me personally you know we're probably gonna go on and do some more real estate development we've just developed 90 apartment units in Dover um, and we're working on you know 30,000 feet in um, Fremont that we're developing and buildings half of it's built now we got another 250,000 square foot warehouse that currently is in front of a planning board in Rockingham County what town I won't mention Um, So, yeah, more more development, more building for ourselves, more more, um, real estate development. The company, I, I think, really, we have our revenue model that we want to obtain and we want to get to, and I think you'll see us get there fairly soon and sit right there. We're a process and procedure company. Nice. We don't go anywhere until process, procedure, and people are in place. And we will put the brakes on until process is defined, procedures are defined, and we have the right people. We're smart, we know where we're going, we know what we need to do. We watch a lot of people get out over the skis with too much sales and that's, yep. not, that's not, we've done all that that's not the right way to do it. So I think um, technology will come into play more and more in the construction, more prefab. Um, yeah, you'll, you'll see us in the future be way out in front of uh, things that we need to get our hands on you know, b- before
0: before we need to. Well, that leads into the next question that <laughs> I have. Um, and that is, what are the, the forces that you're seeing shaping the construction industry? Um, where What is influencing the industry in a positive way? And what are the challenges that are looming out there that concern you most?
2: Uh, I think in, in a positive light, um, I think the whole construction industry as a whole has become... Um, in the public side, I'm more of a professional trade, and so I'd like to think that a lot more people are going to get into it because the salaries are where they need to be. Mm-hmm. It's not like it used to be. Um, people can make a great wage these days being in the construction industry. And I think that's one of the positive lights. One of the negative things that's holding you know all of us back, our 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 peers in the, in the industry as well, is you know material. Um, lead times are, as we talked about a little bit earlier, unfavorable. And obviously the elephant in the room is labor, 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 Mm -hmm. right? Having enough people. Um, so training, training, um, training and bringing people up in, in the business from, from the bottom up is, you know, probably the path you'll see Jewett take.
1: Cool. Um, I want to switch gears before we have to sign off in a little bit. But um, Craig, we uh, again alluded to or or talked in the introduction of of both of you uh, as to your community engagement and things you're involved in. You're a graduate of Leadership leadership New Hampshire. What, What year? Oh, you had to ask me. <laughs> and no, I, I, I can redact the question. I don't have if, my pen on. Oh, so. <laughs> no, it's, all
2: right. it's all right. I don't. I don't know what. I, actually, I, I, I think it was two thousand eight. To be honest. Okay. With you. Yeah, all right.
1: Thought. Cool. Well, there's a lot going on that year. So yeah, there was. Makes, it makes it was. sense. I had nothing nope.
2: else to do. I figured
1: I'd go. Yeah,
2: right. Just get that <laughs> I going I wasn't busy, on. so.
1: Nice. Well, Matt is a graduate, and I am going to be a twenty three graduate when that program nice. uh, is done. Thank You're you. Welcome aboard. Thank you. I actually have a uh, an event to go to tonight. Well the night of our recording anyway. So, um, but to that end, so you, you were involved in leadership New Hampshire. You're now on the board. You have some other community initiatives that you've been involved in. Um, why, why do you get involved in the things that you do? What is, what is the motivation there?
2: Well, I I think, uh, we've always at Jewett, um, given back, uh, always supporting a lot of nonprofits. And I think, Serving on some, we've done, we've done a lot of nonprofit construction too, some great projects that recently we did the Center for Wildlife in York. Oh, wow. So you know, we we're always trying to pick a nonprofit to help out. And, and I think being on some of these boards is, is, I've always said, surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Mm. And so sometimes when you sit on a board, you know, there's some pretty talented people around. You can learn a lot from, you can get some, you can get some, um, some mentorship just by being in some of those board meetings. So I, I've always dipped my toe in a lot of that. A lot of the boards along the way, and you know, sometimes you stay on for a while, sometimes you get off, you, you know how it goes. But it's
1: always, a, a, first and foremost, a place to give back. Right. Awesome. So. Awesome. And Nick, um, have you, uh, are, there, are there places in community or initiatives that you've uh, taken a shine to or that you're involved in at this point? Yeah, I was involved with the
3: uh, Chad football game in nice. this past year, helped out with fundraising for that, um, really good program. Um, so that was pretty exciting. You yeah, raised more that. money than I did. Uh, <laughs> oh, it nice. comes out right here. Yeah, there it, it is. turns out I'm pretty good at it. Well, then there <laughs> you go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, if you ever get tired of this, maybe there's a non-profit funding career for you yeah, somewhere. Yeah, right, right. Although maybe, I don't know, maybe not. Sometimes
2: <laughs> the construction industry can be non-profit. I
1: was <laughs> going <laughs> to say,
0: yeah, right, right, yeah. <laughs> Depending on the day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, all that's, um, that's I've good. I've got a Matt's question i always a, wanted oh, to know about construction. Right. Sure, okay. So you're building all kinds of different projects and yep, dealing yeah. with all kinds of customers. What is the weirdest request you've ever received? Oh, I love these kind of
2: questions. Oh, interesting as hell. Um. Wow. <laughs> I can 't tell you the, weir- the, the weirdest thing has been requested us, but we have built some weird things. Um, you know, back in the early '90s, we built this run-up facility at Pease, which is extremely odd, which is to contain uh, jet engine noise. It's kind of a neat project that um, yeah, we've done a lot, a lot of crazy stuff. We renovated the Ash Street School uh, in downtown Manchester, which is a, you know a marquee project. Um, a lot of people don't know this. We built four major pools, Rayco Theodore, the Jenny Thompson pool. Um, oh, wow. This one in Rochester. We built that. We went on this pool kick for a while. We built <laughs> every pool in New Hampshire, I think, we built. Uh, and nobody kind of knows that stuff. Uh, That's
1: funny, yeah.
2: We built the first two Saturn dealerships in the state of New Hampshire, one in Newington and one in Amherst, which oh my really catapulted. I had j- just got out of college at the time, and Saturn was the, was the first manufacture to demand an exterior look that was similar to other stores right you had to have this look and oh, so i started thinking right when i got out of college because i did nothing with my college degree because i knew i was going to go in the construction business anyway <laughs> uh so i started looking at the saturn model i'm like this is going to take off and sure enough you know it took off into uh into
1: something that we never would have expected so yeah. cool neat. What'd you study in school? You mentioned that you you probably weren't going to use it, but what'd you study? I went in to uh,
2: I went to uh, I, I had a rough time in school. I couldn't sit still much like I'm sitting here tapping my foot, which you could probably hear on this microphone. <laughs> that's, anyway. that's
1: at least the three of us, if not the four yeah. of
2: us, right? Going yeah. like okay, uh, yeah. so gotta it, move around. Yeah, so I, I went to uh, Slippery Rock University in Western Pennsylvania on a oh. football scholarship. That's how I got out there. Okay, um, I played high school football and I went on to prep school in Maine and played football there and. I think football is the absolute uh, game of life. And it, I think the game of football, for me, I'm, I'm a big fan of the sport, you know, geared me up for. I think running a construction company is similar to running a, a football team, to be honest with you. So I ended up uh, getting an environmental planning degree out there. And then I graduated from school. Um, I went a summer semester and got out. And the day I graduated, I drove home to New Hampshire. And the <laughs> next day... I was working on a site as a laborer in Nashua. I there you go. It was, uh, my dad kind of said, "Well, you have your degree now. You're going to go to Nashua and sweep floors or whatever." I did. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's where that's where I started. But Nick, hey, Nick has job. been Nick has been in the same progression. We both started at the bottom, mm. and both both strategic decisions and it's, yeah. it's necessary to make the tour of duty through each department in the construction
1: industry. You're never going to be able to run the thing. So, right. Right. I'm sure the learning experience as you move through is, um, is worth its weight in gold, you know? Um, wow. This is, this has been a great conversation. You guys are clearly a good team, at least just the two of you. You've got a great team with and behind you. Um, so Craig and Nick Jewett, Jewett Construction. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's I appreciate been great. it. Thank that, you. Thank you. Yep.
0: And now the buzz. In a recent issue of Business New Hampshire magazine, Amy Can, a HR guru and managing partner of HR ROI Consulting in Portsmouth, wrote an article about not treating onboarding like a chore. Mm. And, you know, we are in the midst of a talent war and we're trying – many companies are trying to hire, get new people on board and, you know – the onboarding process is so critical as to setting the tone of what they're coming into for the company, getting them off on the right foot, and um, creating an atmosphere where they feel like this is the place I want to be. Yeah. And yet so many businesses get this wrong. Right,
1: right. So this is foundational stuff. We've talked about this. Cardinal deals with this all the time. Foundational stuff. Um, she she has a great list in this article. One of the first things she says is automate the actual administrative part of the onboarding process. Yep. Yeah. Don't send me home with a bunch of folders and you know papers and this and that let me log into your to the system and complete the forms and get it all done and automate the process because it's just a process it doesn't you know just get it done so that we say this isn't in the way it's just something we have to do fill out this form do what you need to do done right Easy, right? Um, I love that number two. So remember your ultimate goal is to integrate a real person into your organization to become a valuable member and stay. Yes. How about that? Yeah. These are human
0: beings. There's things we need to do. Um, Yeah, you can't wait till they're starting – to then restart your relationship, you right. don't hi- you shouldn't be hiring someone, and then the next time that you have a communication with them is when they show up for work. Right, exactly. And you know, I think we're seeing that in our best companies to work for. You know, mm-hmm. that's uh, that issue in September where we announce our winners. Um, we are seeing a lot of that among um, best practices. Is what do you do in that in between time? And so, for some of the companies, it is they are sending um, a welcome letter and nice. basket yeah. to the employee at their house. Beautiful with, with employee swag, yeah. and one includes like a gift card to take you and your family out to dinner mm-hmm. to celebrate that you'll be joining us. We're Love looking it. forward to seeing you. You know, they arrive yeah. and it's they're paired up with somebody mm-hmm. to be their work buddy, as it were. You know, to have someone to ask the questions of. Um, <clears throat> well, so I ha- feel
1: like I feel like in the past there's been this sort of um, in some companies where. They, you know, they they hire them and then they're like, okay, well, your first day will be this day and that'll be orientation day, and then mm-hmm. you don't hear from anybody until then. And right. like you said, you get there and you're like, wait, now I got to set up my desk and I don't really know anything or anybody. I don't. It's really like feel that first like- day
0: of school. It feeling is that- it's tons of
1: anxiety. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's really simple ways like s- communicating and showing appreciation in the meantime that can take away that anxiety and and really make it feel like. I know what I'm doing when I go in day one. I know who I need to see. I'm excited about this. This place has shown me that they care about me as a human being already. And I haven't even worked an hour for them yet. Right. You know, love that. Love that. Where else are we on this? She's, there's so much in this article that's really um, that's really great. What else stands out for you here?
0: Well, integrating your newly hired employee with your culture policies and expectations. that. You know, don't just sit down with them and read verbatim uh, your handbook.
1: Please sit here and read the handbook and then sign this page that says you've read the handbook. Boring. Right.
0: Amy says, you know, go over the critical parts of your handbook and then give them the handbook to read. But then, you know, really go over not only expectations, but this is what our culture is, you know, and um, – the companies do this in a variety of ways. We um, certainly, one of the practices we've seen is uh, sometimes the CEO will meet with a group of new hires and talk to them about what the company's about, their vision for them, get them excited about, it, really let them know what this is what our company's about and then gets to know them. Yeah. What? Get oh, to know your uh, new em- hires? Holy
1: mackerel. They're not just there to do the widget thing? Right. Make the widget? Come on. And, I love it. And love Another it.
0: great onboarding um, piece that I've seen come up at a couple companies is where they will I, either have the employee fill out this form or it's part of their talking is it, tell us what you like. Yeah. How do you like to be recognized? Yeah. What are your favorite things to eat? What are, you know, get to know the person so that when you do want to praise them, when you, you yeah. know how they like it, they, do they want to be praised in front of other people? Right. Do you want... Set so aside like privately. Yeah. Do you know, do they, are they money motivated? Do they want to, mm-hmm. you know, go, they have a favorite restaurant that, so you can give them right. a gift card?
1: Lollipops are dollars,
0: right? It's just, right, you know, it, but it's getting to know that person right off the bat so that their manager knows better how to manage this new person. Exactly, yeah. And that's what she touches on sort of at the
1: end of this article is that the one-to-one goal setting and expectations, really, too, between the newly hired folks and their supervisors. That's critical, obviously. And it's, I think the whole gist of this, as someone in HR obviously is focused on, is treating, treating the human beings as human beings, communicating—these are two things in HR that, if you do, if you communicate well, and you realize that everybody is a human being, therefore everybody is different—you're gonna, you, there's gonna be some progress there. Um, and even, you know, to the to the case of, you know, do you like to get a phone call or a text? Um, do you, face-to-face communication. Uh, how are you with with these other tools? And and you know, and again, it's just. Who are you um, and what are you up against even, you know, and and how can we work better together? Setting up these meetings, you know, as, as she mentions, you know, within the first week, that makes sense. Make sure that that individual going in knows that this is what's going to go on for the next couple of weeks. You're going to be checked in with a bunch. You're going to, we're going to talk. We're going to connect. You're going to connect with other employees, all of that, um, what she says here, it's, I think the very last line, I love it. Poor communication and misunderstanding are two of the major factors that generate conflict. You don't say.
0: Right. And, you know, it, it, it all boils down to engagement begins from the moment that you, you say, we're we'll bringing you on board. Yes. And it needs to continue throughout and that period that before they come on board to the moment they're on board and those first few months, that engagement level is so important. That's that is it's critical. It's absolutely critical. And that's what we're buzzing about this week. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. Check out the Cardinal blog and learn about
1: our services at cardinalconsultingnh.com. We're on social at cardinalconsultingnh. I'm Matt Murray And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a joint production of Business New Hampshire Magazine and Cardinal Consulting.